We're going to begin looking this summer at the book of Ephesians, and we, it's always good when you can kind of work yourself up to things, uh, you know, kind of build up, and the, the difficult part with Ephesians is it doesn't do that. So we start out this morning in looking at Ephesians, in looking at some very difficult passages to wrap our minds around. And what I hope you'll do as we go through Ephesians and we look at this, if you haven't uh, read through it before, I hope that you'll take time to really digest what Paul is saying. Um, Because this morning during the service and also during our lag time, we're going to be talking about the theological ideas of adoption, of God choosing and of predestination. And normally when people hear those, one of two things happen. Either people tell you something other than what the Bible is really saying. Okay? Because some people get upset when they hear this. Or they tell you, and they don't explain it well enough, where you, you hear it. So my hope is that what you'll do as we go through the message this morning, as we look at what Paul has said to the church at Ephesus, that you will take it and you will allow God to show you what he is saying. And when you have questions, either in lag time or afterwards, please let's talk about these because this to me is some of the most beautiful text in the New Testament because it talks about not us, Because the New Testament talks about us a lot. It talks about our sinfulness. It talks about our inability to get to God. But this talks about what Christ has done. And to me, it is so beautiful for us to see what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bible this morning and you're able, I invite you to turn with me in the book of Ephesians. I invite you to stand As we begin reading in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. You may be seated. I hope this morning the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of His Word. Ultimately, what Paul is talking about here is the sovereignty of our God. Is our God truly the one who sits on His throne, whose will is immovable, whose power is unending, whose knowledge is infinite? 
Is that our God? Paul wants to begin making that argument by something he says even in his greeting. You know, Paul's letters begin with a greeting. You, you see it there in verses 1 and 2. And so often what we do is we blow through the greeting, even though from ancient literature, Paul's are some of the most amazing. He takes time to craft every word, including his greeting. And so he starts out when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and then he says, by the will of God. And if we don't start there, I, I think we lose a little bit of the focus of where Paul is going with his argument. If you don't know, I want to remind you of what Paul means when he says an apostle by the will of God. First, with an apostle, what he means is a person who has seen the resurrected Christ. That is why you and I are not apostles. An apostle defined in the New Testament is someone who had seen the risen Savior. So Paul claims that for himself, but, but how? Well, if you don't know Paul's story, if you go back to the book of Acts, what you find is Paul was a Jew. And Paul was not only a Jew, but he was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious leaders. And Paul had taken a, his name was Saul at that time, he had taken a particular interest in persecuting this new group of people called the Christians. As a matter of fact, we find him in the book of Acts walking down a road, and he is headed to a place called Damascus. He is walking there, and he is going to go and persecute the Christians who make up the church of Jesus Christ. And as he is walking there, with his mind set, on persecuting the church, Jesus appears to him. Not an angel, not some spiritual being, not even uh, another apostle, not one of Jesus' disciples, but Jesus himself appears to Saul. And from that moment on, his life is radically different. So when he writes here, now with his name as Paul and not Saul, and he is now a leader in the churches, he has now went throughout the known world and started churches, now as he is writing this letter back, he starts in verse 1 by reminding them that he is what he is for no other reason, but it was the will of God. Friends, as we look through this heavy theology in verses 3 through 6, we do well if we begin by understanding that we are what we are by the will of God. Regardless of what you think about these verses, regardless of how you work them out in your own mind, regardless, we are what we are by God's will. If you believe otherwise, then verses 3 through 6 are really not going to make any sense. God spoke to Paul. He called him. He equipped him. 
He made him what he was. And Paul realizes that it's all by his will. We don't know if Paul was an exemplary speaker, but I imagine he was. We do know that he was an amazing writer. No doubt about it. But even in that, Paul gives all the credit to God and his will. He understands that God is sovereign. And friends, that phrase, that idea has become offensive in our modern context. Because if God is sovereign, if God rules and reigns over all, then we don't. If God is all-powerful, then we aren't. If God is the highest order that there is, if He has created all that exists and all that we see, then what that means is we don't. We aren't. We haven't. We are not the highest order in the universe, but rather have been created by God's Word. You and I, I think, should take the opposite view when we look at God's sovereignty. When Paul talks about being, being who he is by God's will, we should find comfort in it. The world is offended by it. The world does not want it to be so. But Paul finds comfort because he can write the words that he does here in this book, understanding that they have not come from him, but they have come from God. I want to point out to you that in this passage, and you'll see this again next week, especially in your lag lessons that I wrote, so you get a double whammy next week. You see constantly this phrase. Look at it. Verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in Him. Verse 4 into 5, in love He predestined. In verse 6, in the beloved. Verse 7, in Him. Verse 10, in Him. Verse 11, the purpose of Him. You see what's happening here? This passage is not about you. Ephesians chapter 1 is not about you. It has nothing to do with you. At the same time, having everything to do with you. It's not about what you have done. It's not about what you have chosen to do. It's not about the Sunday that you went forward and knelt at an altar. This chapter is about what God has done in Christ. And if you miss that, if you don't think about what God has done in Christ, let me tell you that coming forward at five years old doesn't really mean anything. Let me tell you that us pulling out the horse trough over here and filling it up with water, it doesn't mean anything. If it's all about you and not about him, it's pretty worthless. So let's, let's look at the text here. First, he says this in verses 3 and 6. He says, we are blessed. He says, blessed be, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. 
And then verse 6, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Everything that you read here is a blessing. God choosing us. God giving us His grace. God predestining us to live with Him forever and eternity is a blessing. Now you may look at that and you go, well, what about this person or what about that person? That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about in Christ we have been blessed. When you navigate from that and go in other directions, what you do is miss that we have been blessed. Look how we're blessed. First, in Christ, we have not been blessed because we are Americans. We have not been blessed because we have a place to worship. We have not been blessed because we have great uh, financial wealth. We have not been blessed for any of those things. I think sometimes we we take that phrase and we really use it for things that just aren't as good. Somebody can have millions of dollars and look at you and say, I am blessed. Somebody in Florida, I think, became America's newest multimillionaire last night. If it was you, we made a deal yesterday at the men's retreat about how much of the offering we got. You can talk to us about it later. Um, If you watch a, a television interview with someone who wins something like that, they may say something like, I'm blessed. Or, or even more realistically, you may look at your family, and you may see your children, and you may go, I am blessed. And that's greatly true. I got six blessings Four on most days, but, but six blessings at home. But ultimately, what we fail to realize so often is that the greatest blessing we have, the blessing that the widow with no children who has nothing in her bank account and no place to live, but has Christ who can say in that instance, I am blessed, they, we miss it. We miss chalking up to God the thing which is most important. This passage tells us that we have been chosen by God. We have been adopted by God. What is more of a blessing than that? But look what we have to do to get to the blessing. He says first we, in verse 4, have been Chosen. God picked you. God picked you. If you know Him this morning, God picked you. And it's more than just, well, God picked me to be on His team. No, God looked at you in your sin. He looked at you in your inability to get to Him. He looked at you in all the things you were doing in your life that did not bring Him honor and glory. He looked at that. And He said, I want you. I want you. If we read the whole Bible, this makes plenty of sense. Go back to the Old Testament and see what God did. 
God goes to a man named Abram. And he says, I pick you. I'm going to make you a great nation. He goes to Moses. And he says, I want you. And Moses says, well, I'm, I'm not good at speaking with people. And God says, well, I want you to go speak in front of Pharaoh. I want you to go speak in front of the king of the world. I'm not well spoken. I want you. He goes to the people of God and he says, you are not the most impressive nation. You are not the greatest. You're not going to listen to me. You're going to worship other gods. I pick you. All the other nations of the world, all the other people of the world, I pick you. See, some people look at that and they go, how terrible is that? What about this person that God doesn't pick? Or what about this person that God doesn't pick? God's not talking about this person that he didn't pick or this person. He says, I picked you. I chose you. I chose you to be blessed. Why did God do that? Why did God choose any of us? Why, did God, why does God choose anyone? Why does God choose people from every tribe and nation and tongue? I've got no idea. And you don't either. I have no clue. Because listen, I know myself. I know me a lot better than any of you do. Why would God pick me? I'm getting to know some of you. Why would God pick you? But he does. He chooses us in Christ. And not only that, but when he, he chooses us, he gives us every spiritual blessing. So, so let me get this right. Not only is this a rags story where the, the homeless guy, the guy who has nothing, the guy who has nothing to offer, not only does God get him and bring him inside, he takes him from outside the house begging and hungry. Not only does he grab me from there, but he brings me inside and he doesn't put me in some other room. He doesn't put me off to the side, but he brings me in and sits me at his table. And then he gives me something to eat. He brings me in and he takes the royal robe and he wraps it around my shoulders. Not only does God choose us from, from where we were at in our darkness, in our despair, but He chooses us and he, he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. He comes back and he would be satisfied being a slave. And his father... He kills the fattened calf. He throws a party. He takes his gold ring and he puts it on his finger. He takes his royal robe and he puts it around his shoulders. He doesn't just welcome him back as a slave. He welcomes him back as a son. He gives him everything that is available. I'd say we're pretty blessed. We get caught up in wondering why didn't God do this or that and God chose you. And you should be eternally grateful. But not only that, he doesn't stop with just choosing. And this is the word that we get caught up on.
we get caught up on this idea of predestination. I remember very vividly, not many years ago, of having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I said, well, the fact of the matter is, I don't believe in predestination. And he said, it's in the Bible. Okay. So well, I don't, I know that. You know, I'd been to seminary at least a week or two by then. I knew that. But, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't believe that God chooses us. He said, well, that's in the Bible. Well, I mean, I don't believe that he chooses us from, you know, from the foundation of the world. He said, well, that's in the Bible. And so I had to start looking at it and being honest about it. So one, from this day forth, never say, well, I don't believe in predestination. You can define it however you want, but, but don't say that because it is in the Bible. And I think it's in like every translation because they can't find a different word. What does he say about this predestination? Well, with chosen, he said, before the foundation of the world, he says, to be holy and blameless, we're chosen for a purpose. Predestination, look at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us. So we have to start out by realizing that whatever this is, this predestination, it is, it is part of God's character. Because God's character is love. It is loving. In love, He predestined us. Now, you'll look at that and say, well, does that mean everybody doesn't get in? Well, you and I know the answer to that. Because you and I have sat at the funerals, or if you're like Marvin and I, we have done the funerals where we know that the, the body in that casket is in a lot better shape than the soul that is departed from it. We know that. So we know some people don't follow after God. We know that some people reject Him. We know that some people follow false religions and strap bombs to themselves and they blow up buildings. We know that. But He's not talking about that. He says, in love, He predestined you. In love, He chose you. What for? He predestined you for adoption as sons. Can you guess at what point in my life this passage began to make sense? Because there was a time in September of 2000 and whenever it was, and we... It was in the fall of 2007. It was in September, the week after Labor Day. And we went to Greenville, South Carolina. And we sat in this room with all of these social workers. And they began to... I probably shouldn't have went here. They began to tell us about three little boys that needed parents. And when they tell you that story and you make a decision without ever seeing them, and then you bring them in, and they live at your house. And then in December the 22nd of 2008, the clerk of court of the Rutherford County Courthouse put her stamp on an adoption decree. And those little boys were no longer somebody else's. My name is on there. As a matter of fact, and this is kind of shady, but if you, 
If you pull up this one right here, allegedly my wife and I were in Miami-Dade County three months after we got married because our names are on the birth certificate. It wasn't just from December 22nd of 2008, but it went all the way back to September 27th of 2004. And it said that I'm his dad. See, God looked at us, and we were orphans. And he said, that one's mine. He said, that one is mine. And he didn't do it when he, when he looked at us and he had time to, to fill us out and to see how we were going to do and what we were going to look like. And, okay, I wonder if he's going to make this decision or that decision. It says, before the foundation of the world, before you had time to mess up, before you had time to get it wrong, God looked from eternity and said, I choose you. You're mine. And when he adopted us, he did not adopt us as some second-class family member. We're not a crazy uncle. We're not a third cousin. He looked at us and he said, you will be my sons and my daughters. You will be joint heirs with Christ. What I have given him, the splendor and glory of heaven, I am giving to you. Let me promise you this morning, if your mindset was like mine, to minimize that God has picked us, you are minimizing what He has offered us in Christ. Why did He do it? Why did He choose us? Look at what He says. And this is, if you want answers, I mean, if you want answers... This is going to be very disappointing. Because he says, according to the purpose of his will. When we look next week, we'll see this. According, he's making known the mystery of his will. This is from verse 9. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. That's frustrating, isn't it? Because we want to know. Isn't that how we are in our relationships? I don't think my wife has asked me this. I think I'm good. If she has, it's probably a joke. But have you ever asked somebody, well, why do you love me? Right? Everybody was a teenager once, right? And, you know, you had your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and, you know, it was, it was passionate. You are in love, you're going to get married, you don't even know where they live now, but then, and want to know, right? Why do you love me? Why, why, do, you, why do you want to be with me? And, and God says, because I do. God says, it's in accordance with my will. God says it's because that's what I decided. 
If we look down in verse 11, he says, we've, had, we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You know what that means? And I don't want to go too much into next week's sermon, but you know what it means? It means when he wants to do something, who does he ask? Himself. God's will counsels his will. That's why he does things. So if you wanted an answer, I don't have one. And I would love to know, God, God, why? Why did you pick me? God, why? Why did you choose me? I don't know. But I'm glad he did. It was the purpose of his will. But look what it's for. Look, he finishes that out. To the praise of his grace. Think about that. He did this so that the world would praise his grace. See, our world likes to look at God's judgment. They like to think about the fact that we believe in a place called hell. We believe real people go there. We believe that people must turn to Jesus and, and follow them. They must trust in him. But that's what the world looks at is the thought that, okay, some of us get to go to heaven and other people don't go to heaven. And, and that, how does that work? And I don't like that. I don't like the way it looks. You notice when we do that, we're, we're starting to look at ourselves. We're starting to think about ourselves and what we want. He says that we are saved. He chooses us. He calls us. He adopts us so that his grace will be praised. So that the world will praise his name. So that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord. He doesn't do this for you. He does it for himself. You say, well, God's an awfully proud guy. Who else has the right to be proud but God? Well, God's just boasting. Don't you think he deserves it? Look around. Look at what he's made. He does this for the praise of his grace. So that when you look back at it, when you're like Paul and you reflect upon your life, what you see is, is extraordinary goodness. Paul looks back at his life and he sees, he sees walking on that road. He sees going down the road to Damascus. And he sees God call him. He would reflect back on it because it's his testimony. He would talk about it because it's what God had done in his life. And you know what he did every time? He gave praise to God for his grace. If you and I come to the point where we believe that everything that we have in Christ are things that we have brought about, then we'll never give his grace praise. But we'll boost ourselves up thinking that we have done well. I want to finish this message up a little differently than I normally do. Because I think with this topic, there's one confusion. 
But there's two on this. If God has chosen us, if God has chosen us to follow Him, if God has predestined us from the foundation of the world, why does anything matter? Why, why give an invitation at the end of a service? Why call people to pray? Why call people to get their spiritual lives in order? Dr. McDonald a couple weeks ago was talking about looking at those things in the, in the backyard that needed to be cleaned up and taken out. Why would we want to do that? If God has chosen us, what would be the purpose? What's it matter? The danger is to pick this apart and become very numb. I've known people who have picked this apart and by doing so have become numb to doing evangelism. They've become numb to doing mission work because they, they, have, they have said it in their heart because God has done these things, because these things are at work in eternity, because God has shown His power and grace and might that we have nothing to do. But that's not the truth at all. Because God's plan is very much a mystery still. I mean, we could take these six verses of Ephesians and, and really verses 1 through 14, and we could spend a lifetime trying to wrap our heads around what God has done. But this fact remains God has called us to share this good news with a world that is lost and dying. You and I this morning have no idea how God is working in the hearts of the people even around us. In a crowd this size, there are people here this morning who do not know Jesus, who have never trusted in Him as their Lord and Savior. They've never repented of their sins and believed that Christ is Lord. God has called us to do two things that I wanted to mention to you this morning. One is found in Matthew 28, which you're very familiar with. That God has called us to go into the world and make disciples. He didn't tell his disciples, hey, guess what? I know what's going to happen. You don't need to do anything. He didn't say, okay, guys, I know who I love. I know who I have called, so y'all don't need to do anything. Everything's good. The problem that we have sometimes is we try to work this out in our own mind without letting God's word speak as it's been written. Matthew 28 tells us to go. And then in Revelation 5, 9, we have this beautiful picture where Jesus is shown as having ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and nation. Do you realize right now that there are thousands of people groups in our world who have never heard the gospel? They have never heard the name of Christ. And to be honest, if the church in the United States doesn't start doing better, we're going to see greater and greater pockets of people here who have never heard as well. Do I believe that God knows what's in those people's heart? Absolutely. Does God know who His people are? Absolutely. Has God called you and I to tell them the gospel? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, he has called you and I to boldly proclaim his word. And the great thing about that is, 1 Isaiah 55 tells us it doesn't return void. And secondly, 
We don't know. To me, it's great not to know. I would hate to think that I would go through life and there would be something in someone's eye where you could look at everyone and know what they were going to do with their life. How sad it would be. How broken your heart would be everywhere you went. But rather, what God has called us to do is boldly proclaim. Now, friends, hear me. We don't do that to minimize that God has called people, that God has loved people, that God knows his people. But we do it because in the end, what we are doing is in praise of his grace. So let me encourage you this morning to think about this. This message of predestination, of adoption, of being chosen, is God's message of love to His people. It's a message that we are inadequate in and of ourselves. That we have no hope on our own. We can't repeat some prayer that someone recites for us and be saved, but rather God speaks to our heart. His Spirit convicts us of our sin and we turn from our sin and follow after Him. It's not on our merit. It's not because we're good. Because deep down we are wicked. In the end, our hearts are turned toward ourselves or our hearts are turned toward the idols that we have made in our life. But we need Christ. I have a lot of questions about what this passage says. I have a lot of questions about what it means and how all these things work. But what I realize in the end is that if we are in Christ, if we know Him, then He has called us. He has given us His love. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, this is the Word of God speaking to you. This is the Word of God telling you to come to Him. It's not, it's not the preacher. Not because you're at First Baptist Icon. But it's because God, He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. And after His Son had been in the grave for three days, the Bible says that God raised Him from the dead and it shows us the victory that we'll have in Christ. The victory when He raises us on that last day. This morning He bids us come. Come and follow you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we are grateful that we can know you and love you and that, God, you give us grace. You bid us come. You call out to our hearts and, God, you show us your grace. You show us the inability that we have on our own. You show us that we have no hope apart from you. And God, you show us that you love us enough to, to save us and to give us hope. God, there are those here this morning that don't know you. God, my hope and prayer is that this morning they would respond. They would respond to your call, they would respond to your love, 
and that, God, you would save them today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing, and I want to invite you to do one of two things. One, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would love to share with you or, or some of the others from our church would love to share with you how you can know him. But I want to encourage the rest of you with this. You know, I gave the example of the person who, who gets in their mind. That, you know what, I don't need to do anything because God's already, he's already worked all this out. God's already, he's already made all this happen. He's already chosen, he's already predestined, he's already adopted. I don't need to do anything. And I think when you and I hear that, we're kind of repulsed. Like, I, I can't believe anybody would believe that. I, I can't believe anybody would act that way. But friends, if we're honest with ourselves, most days go by. And that's exactly how we function. We may never say that and we never believe it, but we live our lives as if God's going to take care of it and He's never called us to do anything. We don't want to do evangelism. We, we don't really do missions because it's not really that important to us. In the end, it's about how we function. And we're really no different than the person who has just set it up in their mind. You know what? I don't need to do this. I would even say they might sleep better at night. Friends, this morning, the call that God has chosen, that God has adopted, that God has predestined the people for himself and for his glory should cause us to be renewed in our commitment to tell others about the gospel. We want to see God's family grow. We want to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This morning, maybe we respond. Maybe we respond with, God, give me a renewed heart. A renewed heart that functions in light of the gospel. Maybe that's you this morning. If it is, would you come as we sing?